Do you want the stand? Uh, I'll try. I'll be okay. All right. Good morning. Uh, it's uh, great to be with you all uh, this morning. What a delight. Um, uh, we were here, or at least I was here, um, well, both of us, Molly and I were here for, I think, one of the preview services, uh, but uh, this is the first time to get a chance to worship you with you all since you began weekly services, and it's just a joy to see everyone here, and uh, uh, we've been getting reports, obviously, from Rick and Molly and from others of you, um, uh, but that's not the same as actually being here and worshiping with you, so uh, thank you. Uh, and uh, uh, it's interesting to me that uh, actually two of the other uh, main preachers from Church Across are also here today, so I don't know if I should be concerned. It wasn't actually planned, um, and so I'm wondering, who is at Church of the Cross this morning? So I don't know. Maybe one of my kids is on. Uh, who knows? So anyway, no, I, I know who's there. So, But anyway, it's, it's good to see Pete and Josh uh, here as well, and, and, uh, and actually it is a joy um, that there's such overlap uh, between our churches. And uh, we really do see ourselves as a family of churches. Um, uh, so a number of years ago, uh, many, many years ago, I lived in Indianapolis. I was working at a, uh, a church there. It's actually the town where I grew up. Um, and there was a coffee shop that I would go to occasionally. I wasn't a super regular um, uh, person there. But whenever I went to this coffee shop, um, I would encounter this guy who worked there. And every time I went, he was always there. And I still remember him as perhaps one of the most friendly people I've ever interacted with. Um, now, again, I was not a regular customer. I was there maybe once a week at the most. But every time I walked in, it was as if he was seeing, like, his best friend, who I haven't seen in years. You know, he'd be like, hey, buddy, you know, how are you? How are things going? How's your day? And he didn't seem fake. You know, I didn't get the impression, you know, that he was just putting this on. I think it was just who he was. Um, and so occasionally I would order coffee from there. Um, I would uh, get the beans. I actually would have the beans ground there, which I'm a little embarrassed to mention in front of Rick that I ground my beans at the store. Um, uh, this was a long time ago. It was before people would grind them at home. Um, and this guy, he would, you know, grind the beans. He'd fill up the bag. And then every time he would do this, he'd go, man, I love that smell. Isn't that awesome? You know, now ground coffee is really a great smell. But it was always like, man, you work in a coffee shop. Like, you are smelling ground coffee all the time. But I think he just, like, had not lost his love for the smell of coffee. I mean, I think of that guy when I read the beginning of our passage today from 1 John. When John says, see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Right? I imagine with that same sort of, like, awesomeness, you know, joy, like, we are actually not just called children of God, we actually are children of God. Like, can you believe this? Isn't this great? And again, I think of John, you know, he was probably sharing this message all the time, right? He was preaching on this, he was talking to people, and yet he still had that same sort of childlike excitement, childlike wonder, like we actually are children of God. Like, that is who we are. Like, it never got old for him. Another memory of my um, son, Drew, uh, again, a number of years ago, he was uh, younger. Uh, we went to amusement park for the first time uh, for him. Uh, he went on a roller coaster. He got off the roller coaster, and he uh, said to uh, Molly and I, he said, from now on, this is all I want to do. Um, and, and so we thought he means like the rest of the day at the amusement park, like just ride roller coasters, but he meant life. You know, like, I just want to ride roller coasters. And I think John is saying, look, this is our life. Right? This is a truth for the rest of our life, right? to, to live into every day with, again, that childlike excitement of, man, this is amazing. 
But I want to invite us both to consider this truth that we are children of God, both as, as again, children, I mean, in a childlike way, in a good way of saying this is just a, a truth that should never get old, but also to embrace um, this truth um, in a mature way and really thinking through what are all the implications of this? Like, if this is really true, that we are really are children of God, what does that mean for how I live day to day? What does that mean for, for the different things that I do um, in my life? And John, I believe, is, is laying out for us some, some very specific implications, right? This truth, as we celebrate it, as we are overjoyed in it, it means certain things, right? It, it, it has implications. It has aspects of our life that are affected. And so the first thing we can say to be a child of God is actually to not be recognized, to not be known by the world, right? The second part of verse 1, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And when we read this, we should keep in mind world um, is, um, uh, for John, uh, that word is often specifically used to speak of the world as opposed to the things of God. Um, And so actually earlier in 1 John, um, he says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And at first we read that and we think, what? I mean, of course we're supposed to love the world, we're supposed to love the people of the world and all the good things of the world. But then verse um, uh, 16 of uh, uh, this previous chapter, he says, but for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father. So he's using world specifically to speak of you know, sinful desires, um, uh, selfish desires. So basically, the way of the world is when we live for ourselves. Not that everyone in the world lives that way, but that's sort of a worldly way of living. And so he's saying, look, those who live according to sort of themselves, according to these worldly systems, um, they're not going to know you as a child of God. As you seek to live as a child of God, often you're going to perhaps look to others as, you know, a fool or someone who's unhealthy, someone who's just a little over the top about, you know, the faith thing. And he's saying, don't be surprised by that. I mean, they didn't know Jesus. I mean, Jesus lived completely, fully perfect as the Son of God, right? He, he demonstrated for us what it means to live according to the kingdom way of life. And John is saying, look, he wasn't recognized. So as you are living as a child of God, at times you won't be um, seen as a child of God. Perhaps, again, you'll be seen as someone who's just delusional and misled. Um, but this is part of being a child of God, um, to live according to, again, the ways of God, the ways of the kingdom, as opposed to the ways of the world. And then I think the next aspect of living as a child of God actually gets into one of the ways that I think we're often sort of misunderstood, um, is that we're called to live in hope. He says, beloved, we are God's children now, um, so that is a reality right now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And so living now as a child of God means also living in a future anticipation and looking forward to what we will become, living in hope of the resurrection, right? That when Christ returns, that we too will receive resurrection bodies, that he is bringing about a new heaven and a new earth, right? And that hope motivates us, that hope strengthens us and guides us, um, that uh, there is a change coming. We have been transformed by Christ if we put our faith in him. We are new creations, but there is an even greater new creation that is to come. There is a greater transformation that is to come. And again, in my experience, sometimes um, as I seek to live in this, in that reality, that hope, that sometimes it's seen as just sort of, you know, wishful thinking, right? As sort of a, well, this is sort of a spiritual way of saying everything will be fine. I had an experience a number of years ago, kind of a strange one, where a guy wanted to share with me his testimony, but it was his testimony of losing faith, 
basically of walking away uh, from the, the Christian faith. And we had gotten to be friends, and he said, I just want to share my story. And again, I, I wanted to hear his story because he was my friend. Um, but he shared with me just how, you know, he had been hurt by the church and grown up in the church and his different experiences and why ultimately he had just given up and didn't believe anymore. And he said at the end, and I think this was supposed to kind of encourage me, he said, well, you know, just so you know, it's not just Christianity that I, you know, have rejected. I've rejected all faith. Um, so, you know, don't take it personally, right? You know, it's much broader than that. He was saying, because I just think at the heart of it, it's just people telling themselves they, what they want to believe. Or telling themselves, oh, it's going to be okay, right? You know, I, I'm going to believe something that's going to make me feel as miserable as this life is. At some point, it's going to get better, right? And hope can be that way, right? There are versions of hope that really is just sort of a, a false thinking. But as John um, makes it clear to us, right, our hope is not based on sort of something we've decided is a nice idea. You know, something that we've determined, oh, this would make me feel better if I believe this. It's based on Jesus, right? It's based on his work. We are God's children now. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Right? That's hope that's based on a promise that Jesus gave, that when he returns, he will bring a new heaven and a new earth, right? That his resurrection power is at work in us and that we too will one day rise with him in resurrection bodies and then rejoice with him. Again, our hope is based on a person, Right, and the actions and the teachings and the wisdom of Jesus Christ and on his promise. And he always keeps his promises. So that hope is actually something that's, that's solid. And what I think is interesting is verse 3, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And I think usually when I think about hope, I think, well, hope strengthens. You know, hope guides. I don't know if I normally think, well, hope is something that purifies us. Right? But that's what John's saying, right? He's saying we hope in Christ, and we're actually purified by our hope. How does that work? Well, I think it's because we're, you know, and we're hoping in Christ, we're, we're fixing our eyes on him. We are saying he's my goal, right? He's the one that I look to to know everything truly will be okay, right? In Christ, it will all be. And so he's the one I'm abiding in, as, as uh, Jesus speaks about in our John reading. And so therefore, as we're setting our eyes on Christ, as we're looking to him as our hope, we're going to become like him, right? And there's a time coming when we will be more and more like him, right, and in the future resurrection. But even now, we are made more and more like him. And so as we fix our eyes on him, as we abide in him, we become like him. Right? This is just, just a dynamic in life, right? The things you spend time with, the people you spend time with, you start to become more like them. Uh, and again, a number of years ago, this is when I was in high school, um, uh, there were uh, two guys that I ran cross-country with on the cross-country team. I was a freshman. They were juniors or maybe seniors at that point. I um, mean, I just thought these two guys were like the coolest guys in the world. Um, I mean, they ran cross-country, so you know they're cool, right? Because that's what all the cool kids do in high school. They're cross-country runners. Um, uh, and, uh, and they liked um, a sort of obscure, you know, alternative music that I liked. Um, and uh, so um, they got to realize that I liked the same music. And at one point, they were going to this concert in Chicago, which again, if you're growing up in Indianapolis, Chicago is like the coolest place in the world. Um, they were going to this concert in Chicago, um, and they invited me to come along. They had an extra ticket. And so I spent the whole day, drove in Chicago. We hung out in Chicago all day, went to this concert. And I remember I came back, and I was talking to a friend about my experience. And my friend said, I mean, you're talking different. Like, you're talking like Marty and Scott. See, I still remember their name, how cool these guys were, right? That was like 30 years ago. He's like, you know, like, you have the same mannerisms as Marty and Scott because I'd spent all day with these two guys that I kind of idolized, and I started to act like them. Now, that, in a good way, <laughs> can happen with Jesus. 
Does he truly is our hope? If he truly is the one that we say, man, he's the one I'm looking to, we start to become more like him. Right? And part of that, again, ties into another aspect of living as a child of God. We're to set our eyes on Jesus. We're also to practice righteousness. One of the ways we abide in Christ is through practice. Verse 4. John begins, actually, with more the, the negative. Right? He begins sort of focusing on what not to practice. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Right? John there giving us a very clear definition of sin. If we've wondered, well, what exactly is sin? Here it is. It's lawlessness. Right? Any time that you are not acting, again, in accordance with God's ways, with the ways that he's made clear in his word, the ways that are demonstrated clearly in the person of Jesus, right? the, the way we, we've seen proclaimed by the church, right? that's sin. That's, that's not a, any living in accordance with the way clear, the clarity he's given us in how we're to live. And you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him and there is no sin. So if Christ is your hope, if Christ is your life, and you're living in a way that's not in accordance with him, right, then how can it be that you really know him? Right, to really know Christ, the one who came to take away sin, is to um, seek to be free of sin. It's not to practice sin. Now, thankfully, John has made it really clear. I think this is thankful for us as we read the book of 1 John. He's made it clear earlier in 1 John. He said, look, anyone who says that they don't sin is a liar. Right, so we can read this and we can start to feel like, oh my goodness, you know, I blew it the other day and I gave into that sin. Is he saying that I don't really know Jesus? Well, no, he's actually already said, if you seem to think that you never sin, and that you never give in to sin, right, then actually you're mistaken because we all mess up, right? We all give in at times to temptation. We all fall in to sin, whether in you know, thought, word, and deed, we can be guilty of sin. But what he's speaking about is a practice, is a habit. The way I think about it is he's saying, look, have you made friends with sin in any way? Or in any ways that you've just kind of said, you know what, this is who I am, right? You know, I'm a follower of Christ, but man, this area of sin is just sort of, man, it's just, you know, it just always gets me, and I'm going to stop fighting. And sometimes, right, in our, you know, struggles with sin, we can just want to give up. And I think John's really saying, look, don't give up. Don't let sin make a home. <laughs> don't let it abide in you. Don't be okay with it. Right, because if that's the case, you're being okay with something that Jesus came to die for, right? that he, um, he has no sin, and if he's the one who you're placing your hope on, then that's your goal. But I especially appreciate, again, that, that use of the word practice. Right? Are you practicing righteousness, or are you practicing sin? Right? Is there a habit of sin, or is there actually a habit of righteousness? Uh, when I think of that practicing righteousness, that invitation to that practice, I actually... Um, I uh, think of something uh, our speaker at the men's retreat um, this year shared. And a number of you were um, at the Cross Restoration Men's Retreat. Um, Aaron Damiani, who's a pastor down in Chicago, um, uh, shared about Lent and was talking about Lent and specifically talked about Lent and discipline. Um, but what he said in that applies to any sort of spiritual discipline, seeking to live in a disciplined life. I mean, he said, we have to think about training as opposed to trying harder. And often we think about being righteous, right? Okay, I want to be righteous. I want to be like Jesus. Right, we kind of get into the trying harder mode. Okay, you know, Jesus was kind. I'm going to try harder to be kind. You know, Jesus was generous. I'm going to try harder to be generous. You know, Jesus was pure. I'm going to try harder to be pure. And he said so often, you know, trying harder just gets us frustrated, right? And we just get, you know, sort of caught up at times. Whereas he said, you know, actually what we're invited to is training. And I think of training or practicing, right? That there, there are habits that we can grow in. Um, and so it's not so much about trying as hard as we can. It's about developing habits and developing a practice. 
Um, now, you may say, because I said a little bit as I was thinking about it, okay, what exactly is the difference? Like, I like the way it sounds, but what does that look like practically to practice or to train instead of trying harder? Um, so I was recently listening to this podcast um, uh, um, uh, about a boxer. I don't really watch sports, but I started listening to podcasts about sports, maybe so I can actually have conversations with other men that care about sports. Um, uh, but anyway, it was about this boxer who actually, his entire boxing career was done while he was in prison. Uh, it was a pretty amazing story. Um, uh, so they would actually come in, boxers would come in and box him in prison, and it was televised, and he had a, a long string of undefeated uh, matches, got close to a title match. Um, but anyway... And they were talking about his training, um, and his training was he would do 1,000 push-ups and 1,000 sit-ups a day. Um, I heard that, I was like, man, 1,000 push-ups. Um, now, what if I heard that and sort of, you know, thought, okay, I want to do that, so I'm going to try harder. Right? I mean, I'm going to, like, 1,000 push-ups, that would be awesome. Man. I'd love to tell people, I do 1,000 push-ups a day, so I'm just going to try really hard. You know, so I start doing push-ups, I do like nine, you know, and my arms are shaking, and I'm like, ah, oh, man, I didn't try hard enough, you know, so I'm going to try tomorrow to do a thousand push-ups, right, and you know, tomorrow I do, you know, eight, because I'm tired from the day before, right, I mean, soon I'm going to give up trying, because I keep trying so hard, and I'm not getting there, right, you know, again, if our goal is, man, I want to be like Jesus, I'm going to try hard, right, pretty quickly we're going to realize, I keep failing to be like Jesus, but a training model, a practicing model, we say, well, man, what do I start to practice? What do I start to train if maybe someday I could get to 1,000? I'm never going to get to 1,000, let's be honest. But, you know, 30. You know, let's say, you know, and so I start to train now to get there. Then it's like I do 10 push-ups, and it's like, hey, I'm training. Right? I'm taking steps. I'm practicing these things, right? And, man, three times this week I, I did push-ups, and that's training. I'm growing in it. And suddenly you're in this place of hope where it's like I'm actually taking steps. Right? And when I don't train well, I can say, well, okay, I'm, I'm not training well. I need help to, to train better. Um, and, of course, the beauty about practicing righteousness is the righteous one indwells us through his spirit. So it's not just that, you know, we're, you know, well, I'm reading about Jesus. I'm trying hard to, as, to be like him and to train to be like him. He's there with us, right? We are, you know, children of God. We belong. We, have, we abide with Christ. And so that practicing righteousness is, is an abiding. You know, it's not just training to do good things, although that's part of it, right? It's just training to live in the presence of God. It's training to live as a child of God, right? That's a, a regular practice. So again, as we have that invitation in John 15 to abide, I just encourage you to ask, what are the things that help me abide to live in the presence of Christ? So certainly reading the scriptures and coming uh, for, for worship and, and um, prayer, right? And being in community. I mean, all those things help us to abide. All those things are ways in which we remember. Christ is present with me. We remember who he is. But I also encourage you, maybe there are things that aren't very spiritual that actually really just help you practice God's presence or to celebrate God. Perhaps there are things that just when you do them, they just remind you that you are a child of God. You know, maybe that is, you know, taking a walk, <laughs> like many people are doing as we drove in, right, and being outside. But that for you is just, man, I just rejoice in God when I'm out in the beauty of nature, right, or listen to great music, right, or, you know, enjoy art, or whatever it is, that to ask yourself, what are those things that actually, when I'm practicing them, I'm reminded of the goodness of God? And man, what are those things that maybe aren't even sinful, but they also are practices that kind of pull me away from God? And how do I practice more of those things that just root me in that reality? I'm a child of God, right? That's truly who I am. What are those things that maybe actually pull me away from that? How do I practice that? How, how do I train for that?
Then finally, and speaking of, of practicing, John makes a rather a strong uh, statement. Again, he calls us, uh, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. You know, as you are practicing this, you are becoming more like Jesus. You are living in the reality of Jesus is. But then verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Right? Strong language, right? And sobering language. Oh my goodness, right? If I'm practicing sinning, I'm of the devil. Now, I don't think he's saying, you know, you know, when you fall into sin, you know, immediately you're a Satanist, right? Or, or, or people that don't know the Lord, right? For those that don't know Jesus and are not practicing righteousness, that, you know, they are wanting evil to spread throughout the world. Obviously, we know that's the case, not the case, right? We know that there are those who don't know the Lord but want good, right? And they, they, they want to see, you know, human flourishing. But he is saying something pretty radical. He is saying, look, there is no neutral spiritual ground. If you're not seeking the Lord, then perhaps likely, inadvertently, you are, are giving influence and power to the devil. Um, you know, it's, it's, I've quoted it so many times, but the Bob Dylan lyric, you've got to serve somebody, right? It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. I say I've quoted it many times, but I'm not the pastor here. I can quote whatever I want. You guys don't know my stories. So, <laughs> so anyway, that's right. Yeah, I'll just keep sharing Bob Dylan quotes. Um, uh, but right, but I mean, I believe Dylan was right, right? I mean, there really is no neutral ground. And that's, again, a rather kind of hard thing to say. Like, really? Like, we're giving power to the devil? Um, but the fact is, there is a spiritual battle, right? And you all probably know that. Um, I'm struck that sometimes this can be an area where the world kind of sees us and says, you know, that's strange, you know? That, that's really strange that they actually believe in such a thing as a devil or they believe in demons. Um, but actually, I've heard some things recently where, you know, sort of secular folks kind of have mused on looking at the evil of this world and saying, like, man, is there more to it than just a human component? I just recently read something by Scott Simon, who's a NPR a guy who's on Saturday mornings. And he was talking about, um, you know, seeing, you know, the pictures of um, and the, reading the accounts of children being gassed um, in Syria. And he said when he looked at that, and he said he was talking to his daughters, he, he had to say, look, there's human evil here, but there's something more going on. So I just thought there is a power of evil, right? There's a spiritual force of evil that goes beyond um, uh, just, you know, the human capacity for evil, which is great. So this actually may be an area where as we live in this reality and acknowledge this, that actually the world may say, yeah, maybe there's something to that, right? And there's no shortage of evidence. But the fact of the matter is there is a battle, right? And again, there's no neutral ground. As we seek the Lord, as we seek to live for him, as we seek to practice righteousness, that that is engaging in a battle, right? And so we are going to experience resistance. And I just want to say in particular today to, to Restoration Anglican, uh, to you all that are called to be part of this church, as you have said, man, I want to be part of a church plant. I want to be part of a new church. I want to be part of, you know, sharing the hope of restoration in Minneapolis. You basically are saying, I want to be on the front lines of this spiritual battle. I believe with all my heart that one of the key ways God is building his kingdom is through new churches. And to be part of a new church is basically to engage, perhaps at a new level, in spiritual resistance. And so there may be ways, as you are serving in this church and part of this church, that you're going to experience sort of maybe an, upped, uh, an amped temptation level. You know, the frustration at times. You may feel like, man, I, I feel like I'm stepping out in faith, and it seems like things are getting harder. Well, maybe that's actually because you're pushing into actually greater resistance. 
you're pushing into you know, new ways in which you're experiencing the fact that Satan does not want this church to thrive, right? that you actually do have an enemy um, that wants this church to fail. And so my encouragement to you as pastor of the Mother Church would be to say, man, as you feel that temptation, as you struggle at times, that you come to your community, that you seek prayer, you seek out Rick and Molly, you seek out others and say, man, I'm feeling that resistance. Right? And this is part of the battle, and I need help. Right? I mean, Satan wants to separate us. Right? He wants us to become isolated. Right? He wants to bring division in the church. As you maybe are working through something difficult with a fellow member of this community, that you would work through it, that you would push into that. That you wouldn't say, ah, you know, we'll just kind of you know, pretend it's not there. Because, again, I just see the unity that God is doing here, the building he is doing, the vision he is giving. You guys are such gifted people. Um, and that's a work of the Lord, and it's going to be resistant. Uh, Molly and I, um, our, our coach, a uh, guy who we've met with uh, uh, since we started uh, Church of the Cross uh, many years ago, and before we started Church of the Cross, um, he calls uh, the season that you're in bleed time. That may not be real encouraging. Oh, hey, we're in bleed time, right? There's, you know, Lent, Easter, regular time, bleed time. Um, it's a new one. Uh, uh, but he would say that. He'd say, man, those first couple years of a church plan, man, that's bleed time. He'd say that all the time. At first, I didn't know what he meant by it. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I don't want to ask him because it's kind of scary. Um, uh, but I think what he meant is, man, those first few years of a church plant, you are pouring yourself out. So Rick and Molly, man, they're pouring themselves out right now, but you guys are doing it with them. And that's bleed time, right? You may times feel like, man, I'm bleeding. Man, this church is asking a lot of me. Well, you know, you, you, the church continues to develop and gets stationed, and you kind of move beyond. But as you guys are in bleed time, I just want to pray for you, um, that you would know the strength of the Lord, and that you would know his encouragement, and you would know what important work you are doing and actually, I asked uh, Molly if she would join me. I actually warned her. Usually, I just say, come on up, Molly. And, and, uh, uh, but this time, great. We just want to say a prayer uh, for you guys. Um, we'll start. Yeah. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are so glad that we are all your children because you are just such an amazing father. And so we do foremost pray that we would understand you rightly, We'd understand your goodness and your love. We'd um, open ourselves up to experiencing your goodness and love. And Lord, I do pray that your love would be made manifest in this congregation in ways that people who are here who've known you a long time or just known you a short time, that all would experience it in just new and refreshing ways. That they would feel so refreshed, Lord, in this place and in their service for you that it would just be a joy and a delight. Um, their hearts would be strengthened, Lord, in your love. Mm-hmm. Father, um, we know that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Lord, as um, this church uh, seeks to love others in the name of Jesus,